Survival Podcast. This will be the only uh, really new show this week. Uh, it is Thanksgiving week, and that means we have certain things that we want to make sure we get to you guys this week. So tomorrow, we'll be airing the interview that I did a long time ago with Chef Keith Snow on how to make the perfect turkey and all kinds of great sides and stuff for Thanksgiving. That gives you a couple days before Thanksgiving to have the knowledge and apply it. And literally everybody who's ever uh, listen to that episode and use the turkey co- cooking methods by Keith Snow in there has told me, like, I make the best turkey in the world now. Well, there you go. Um, also, then Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, we will have a survivalist view of Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving Day, we will have absolutely nothing because I will be stuffing myself with turkey and not moving and drinking beautiful red wine and watching a football game. And hopefully you'll be doing something like that as well. Friday, we will have a Friday flashback. I checked on that and made sure we did. Then we'll be back to our regular programming until about the middle of September when I have to go down to uh, watch my niece graduate college. Uh, And then we'll have the holiday break. But uh, that's just kind of what's coming. want to let you guys know that uh, today and uh, give you the opportunity then to ask your questions and make your comments and stuff like that. What are we going to talk about today? We're going kind of retro, old school here. What is modern survivalism? What is it really all about? What is the core guiding philosophy of everything that we do here at TSP all about? So we're going to talk about that. Uh, When I get past the sponsor segment, we're actually going to have a little fun discussion first. Though We're going to talk about what happens when you join a survival podcast community, whether it's on Discord or Telegram or whatever, and moderators tell you what you're doing is not okay, and you say, I will do what I want to do anyway. And then you run to Jack and cry about it when they throw your ass out. We're going we're gonna to have that discussion, not so much to, to, uh, to, to mock a, our, our friend that, that did that recently, but so that people understand this and so that mods know something else in all of these communities. Because we have, you know, we have the MeWe community. We have, I guess there's still a Facebook group, even though I don't go there anymore. We have a t- t- Discord. We have Telegram, right? We have all these communities, and uh, it's... It's odd to me that people think they can go into one of those communities and tell other people how things are going to be. And then they're shocked when they get thrown out, right? So we'll talk about that because I want you to understand that if you join a community and a moderator of that community tells you a thing that they mean it. Uh, And again, I want the moderators to know that I got your back, man. I got your back. And uh, basically I don't run any of these communities anyway. So I don't, I'm not going to make a decision Uh, when other people are running these communities. So we'll talk a little bit about that, because I think it's a good overview of how you run a community community online successfully in the first place. Because if you let people get away with their bullshit, what it eventually does is destroy these communities. All right, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today is BulkAmmo.com. BulkAmmo joined the fold as a sponsor right about the time I moved into this house that I'm in right now. That was about 10 years ago. So that's a decade sponsoring the show. Really great stuff. Super fast shipping, all the common calibers, everything you can look for in bulk, very affordable. And again, the shipping is, I, I hear from people probably a few times a month, man, you ain't kidding. 
you order it, it's like, it's there. It's like, do they have an agreement with the post office or something? I don't know, guys, but their shipping is badass. They also do a discount for MSB members. So if you're ordering from them and you are a MSB member, make sure you get your discount from BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, a precious metal. It's been something I've recommended forever in a day. Uh, but I've been recommending 5 to 10% of your net wealth in silver and or gold since I started the podcast all the way back in 2008. And that recommendation has never changed. And I always try to be clear with it when I say 5 to 10%. 5% is my number. 10% is the upper limit of kind of what I'm comfortable with, with that level of diversification of your wealth. Uh, so check out Jam Bullion because not only do they have great uh, deals on precious metal, they have better pricing than Monex. Abmex, Lear Capital, like the biggest names out there. I can directly communicate with the president if necessary, though it's really not been necessary for a very, very long time because they just run an upstanding operation. Uh, they do free shipping on all, all orders over 200 bucks. And if you're an MSB member, you get a discount. I don't really know of many people that are in the precious metal business that offer any kind of a discount because, just to be honest with you, the margins in precious metals are ridiculously thin. Uh, it's not a business I would want to be in. Um, I don't know how those guys survive, honestly, in some level, because you buy a bunch of stuff at, you know, minus, you know, X minus spot and then silver takes the dump and you're sitting on inventory that you can't sell for what you paid for it. That happens all the time in the industry. I guess uh, they do enough volume to aggregate average it out. Anyway, that should be something that is in your portfolio and I really recommend. It. All right. So let's dig into this, but let's start off with a little discussion on communities, online communities, virtual communities, and how they work. See, I look at it like this. They work like a house. And the people that built the community, that manage the community, that do the absolute no-paid labor work of managing a community, they define rules. They do that by having conversations with the people who are regular users of the community, and they set the rules. That's, that's the house rules. Now, when you go to somebody else's house... And they say, we don't do this thing, insert whatever it is here in this house. And you say, well, fuck that. I'm doing it anyway. They're going to throw you out of their house. And if you run and cry like a little twat, my free speech has been violated. You've demonstrated that you don't know anything about free speech. Now, if you go set up your own community and somebody then censors you and shuts you down in the community that you set up, that you built, that you set the rules for, that's interfering with your free speech. That's interfering with your speech. In other words, you can write Jack is an asshole on your house with a big spray paint can. That's totally acceptable. You can even put Jack Spirico so everybody knows what Jack you're talking about. You can even put my picture next to it on your house. It's okay if you do that. I will defend to my death your right to do that. You cannot, however, come to my house and spray paint it on my house and say it's your free speech. And that's where these people always come from. And this person today, what they said is, but, but the ultimatum wasn't clear. Let me tell you where the ultimatum comes with virtual communities and moderators, especially well-run communities, which all of the survival podcasts are. Right? The ultimatum comes when you are told one fucking time, this is not acceptable here. Anything other than okay will result in you getting banned. Bye. You don't have any right to be part of anybody's community, let alone mine. And when you run to me like a little bitch and you tell me what happened, but you don't tell me what the deal. So this person came to me twice 
before I got the moderators involved to find out what the hell was going on. But he never said what he got banned for. He said he got banned because they were sanctimonious and, and whatever else, right? But he didn't tell me what the discussion was about. By the way, it was about reincarnation, which probably had nothing to do with anything in our Discord room. And he was also being a dick. So that's just how it works. You get banned when you're a dick in somebody else's house. So if you want to become part of any of our communities, know this. When you get there, there will be a place where you can read what the rules are. If you don't like those rules, go make your own community. If you are okay with those rules, then join that community and follow them. And that way you know you will be part of a well-run and well-ordered community. All right, let's get into, that's actually a big part of modern survivalism, though, is having well-run and well-ordered communities, which will have rules. It's a private dictatorship that you have chose to voluntary and voluntary become part of. All right, so let's start off with another bullshit thing, though, as we dig into today's topic. Where this subject came from the first time I ever discussed it, which was probably 12 years ago or so. And that is there are people within our ranks as preppers and survivalists and all that have this attitude. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I ain't no prepper. I'm a real survivalist, right? They like to hang out in certain boards on forums like AR15.com and things like that. They like to mock any sort of financial preparedness mindset other than maybe hoarding some gold. But if you actually talk about things like budgeting and business, they'll say, well, that's not, I ain't real survival. I got my guns, I got my ammo, and I got my body armor, and I'm going to go out and take whatever I need from people like you. Okay, you're going to die. That's what you're going to do. First of all, the shit you're talking about happening is probably never going to happen. And somewhere in your delusional little brain, you know that. That's why you go bantering around online talking stupid like that, right? Um but you're not a survivalist. Those people are not survivalists. And all we have to do to prove that out is what? All we have to do to prove that out is figure out what the definition of the word survivalist is. So survivalist is made of two things. A word, survive, and a suffix, I-S-T, survive-ist, right? So survive, we can define very simple. Don't die. I-S-T, as a suffix, defines that word as, as so that something that specializes in the thing. So if you are a specialist, right, you are specialized in some way. And when we put is at the end of anything, you specialize in the behavior. So if you were an environmentalist, you specialize in the environment, Right. If you are a survivalist, the definition of the world then is one who specializes in survival. Okay, running your mouth, talking shit, gearing up with a bunch of guns, saying you can go out and take whatever you want from somebody is a good way to end up taking a permanent dirt nap. Therefore, you have failed rule one of survivalism. Don't die. Wake up alive tomorrow. If we don't get at least that far, you have failed. And these people have failed, and they have this really bizarre idea that survivalist equals, you know, standing up against government. Now, I'm all for standing up against government. Those on the video can see the new flag behind me, by the way. No comments about it yet. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. Um, but belligerently so, and fighting wars against 
perceived enemies that will probably never be seen on the shores of the United States, like, you have blue helmets from Belgium that are going to gas us all, because I read it in a book 15 years ago, or some stupid shit like that. And these people always end up not just failing the philosophy. They fail the practical application of everything that we talk about when we talk about modern survivalism. So I want to, just for a second, talk about where that term came from. Modern survivalism and modern survivalist. I cannot prove it, but I believe I coined both terms. And I did that intentionally. Whenever I, this is going all the way back into my marketing days, whenever I came up with an initiative, I always wanted something to hang your hat on for the whole thing. A prime directive, if you were, like we have in permaculture. And I like to have something that's unique to it. So when I came up with this philosophy, I said, what is this? I said, well, it's modern survivalism. It's being a modern survivalist, right? It's modern survival. So I went on Google and I put quote marks around all three of those versions. And I found no instances in millions of web pages that were archived at that point of anybody using the term in print anyway. And I said, well, this is my thing. So since I coined it, at least for this discussion and for use in this community, I get to say what it means. And what it means to me is not eschewing all of the traditional wisdom and knowledge of our ancestors, all the way, you know, from growing food to tracking game to land navigation without, you know, any computers or fancy stuff to how to build a shelter or a fr- like all the stuff you think of as like bushcraft survival or uh, apocalypse, like all that stuff you keep. But while you have access to modern technology, you don't turn away from it. I believe in better living through chemistry. I believe in better living through engineering, okay? So while I think it's important that you would know how to get from point A to point B on foot without even a map and a compass if you had to, right? I, I, th- I don't think it's wrong of you to use a Maps app on your phone when you're traveling from A to B right now while it works. And I think when people turn away from all of the modern things, all of the modern engineering, all the modern chemistry, all the things that make our lives better every day. They're generally that person that's like, I'm a real survivalist. You're going to die while I'm out there living on beef jerky or some stupid shit, right? So my real goals in doing the show, and have been for, again, 15 years now, is to empower people to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. That's really what it's all about for me. And there's a lot of different ways to shore that up. Wealth is a way that we shore that up. Most of the people that talk all that shit that we started this discussion mentioning, they don't have any wealth. And that's why they, they basically shit on the idea that it's a good idea for your survival to, like, have money and the ability to, like, fund your life and be able to pay for things. Because a lot of them, they, they labor under this delusion that when everything falls apart, um, It'll be it'll be better for them, right? That they're just that they don't care how much debt they have or whatever because since the banks are going to go uh, broke anyway, you, they're never going to have to pay it. Uh, they they generally are people that are economically economically they lose on a daily basis, and they see this fantasy they have as something to take that away. And of course, it's everybody's fault but mine. I, I don't want that. I want people who are asking themselves on a daily basis, how do I make my life better right now? This moment 
with what's available to me to do so. But how do I how do I design it and engineer it with enough resiliency and redundancy in it that when something goes wrong, not if, when something goes wrong in my life, it will lock me down but not out. That's the real goals. That's 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 the entire thing. And then there's just dozens and hundreds of ways, of course, that we can get there. And this is really important because to this day, I get at least an email or two a week from somebody who is totally freaked the hell out that just figured out yesterday that everything isn't super. Uh, somebody put them in touch with a video or something. They turned they were on the radio and they found Alex Jones. I mean, it is whatever it is. Right. And then all of a sudden they like start looking for solutions and they realize that all the solutions are just people trying to sell them, you know, overpriced dry goods in a bucket with the name Patriot on it. Right. So they, is they, they, they keep looking and they'll find something like I do. And then they'll go, well, this guy at least is talking about shit you can do. And then I'll get this email. And it's like a first email you get from this person and it will end up being like a book you can't read. It's just complete all over the map. Fear, 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 fear. And I'll always tie them into a couple episodes similar to what we're doing today. And so you just need to sit back, relax and listen to this because all the things that you're freaking out about have been a risk to us for longer than you've known about them. It's not like because you figured this out that all of a sudden it's going to happen. And you didn't figure it out because it just got that way. Like this is this is humanity deals with this edge of oblivion all the time. And sooner or later there will be a consequence to our stupid behavior. That is true. But what you need is to build the most resilient and redundant life you can. Here's the formula for it. That's modern survivalism. That's what this is all about. Because the other option is a disaster, and it's what I call reactionary prepping. You know, they always say that we are hoarders, us preppers. Well, we're not hoarders, right? We're not the people that one day before the storm is set to arrive, go out and buy all the gas. We don't have to. We already have the gas. We're not the people that buy all the bottled water because we just took bottles that were empty and filled them up in our house, and we have lots of bottled water. We're not the people who were racing to the back of a Costco to get our one allocation of a pack of toilet paper when the COVID's hit. We're not that. We're not the people that when the COVID's hit, we ran out and bought a whole bunch of dry goods who never had cooked anything with dry goods. I mean, it amazed me I, just to see, you know, I went to Albertsons and, and some other grocery stores around here right after like the, the hysteria began. And I walked around to see what people bought and like all the dried beans, all the pasta, all that shit was just gone. And I was sitting here going, I wonder how many of these people have never cooked a dried bean in their life. They have no, I wonder how many of these people that bought pasta even have never boiled water and put pasta in it. They, but, but they went out and they just got reactionary to it and reactionary pre-crisis or post-crisis, like in the middle of the crisis, always leads to shortages, and that's bad. But but there's also like this panic-prepping mindset, reactionary-prepping mindset, when actually you don't really know what the threat is, you just know something's going to happen, and you, figure, and you get in that state, so you're now not a problem for anybody else. You're not out there buying up so much stuff that somebody's doing without because of you. 
So that part of it is is not a problem now. But you know what is a problem now? You're going to buy things you shouldn't buy. You're going to make stupid decisions. You're going to overreact, and you're going to spend money you shouldn't spend on things you shouldn't buy and therefore not spend money on things that you should buy or just, like, save the money so that when you figure out what you really want to do in designing your life, you have the money to do it with it. Reactionary prepping leads to... I don't need to pay off my debt. I don't care what Jack says about credit card debt being cancer and the devil because it won't matter anyway when, you know, I don't know the space penguins come and kill us all or whatever it is that you believe is going to happen. You do dumb shit when you react with fear, especially when you react with fear and your response to fear is money, which is what everybody out there in this industry seems to want from you is your money, isn't it? Have you ever noticed I don't really ask for money very much? I give you suggestions for things that you might buy, right? I have a membership program. I really appreciate all of you that are part of it. But my membership program actually puts money back in your pocket. You ever notice that I don't have like a line of shit? Jack's bug out bags, things like that. I want to just hit this because some of you guys are new to me and you don't know this. I've turned down probably more than a thousand offers to do shit like that. Everybody that ends up tied in with me some way that's entrepreneurial mind is like, hey, man, we could private label our food and you could sell it as TSP branded food. Or we'll make you an affiliate and give you 50% commission on a physical product. How much are you ripping people off then? You know, Um even some rather close associates have been like, hey, man, let's do a bug out bag together, right? You spec everything, all inventory, and I'll ship it. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't teach that. I teach people to go out and, and build their own bug out bag because most of the shit you need to put in a bug out bag, you already have. What you need is a bag and a plan, not to put money in my pocket. See, that's the problem with the reactionary prepper. The reactionary prepper is looking for a solution now. And the solution is all the stuff's going to go away, so I need the stuff. If I have the stuff, I'll be okay. So how much money do I have? How much stuff can I get? And how quick can I get it? They remind me of people that get a stock tip, and they're, like, going to break their neck to buy that stock, and they have no idea if it's the right. Even if it's a good stock to, to, to invest in, is this the time to buy it? I found out about it. Well, everybody else is going to find out about it. I better go get it before it goes crazy, right? FOMO and investing, FOMO and Bitcoin, right? Like I tell you to buy Bitcoin, but when most of you ask me how to buy Bitcoin, when we hit a new all-time high, that's when you want to know how to buy freaking Bitcoin, right? Josh is saying SOA is a great place to buy bags. Yeah, go buy the bag from John Willis and build your own your own bug out bag. You know what goes in your bug out bag? All the shit you need to survive in relative comfort for three days. That's what a bug out bag is. It is not... I'm running into the mountains to fight a Red Dawn war. That is not a bug out bag. A bug out bag is a 72-hour kit. Now, I'm assuming most of you could live in relative comfort in your house for 72 hours. That means almost everything that needs to go in that bag, you already fucking up. So if I sell it to you because it's Jack Spearco's bug out bag, and we put some shit in there like some Capri Sun pouches full of water, and some high caloric uh, coconut bars or something like that, and tell you, hey, put your own underwear and, and, and socks and pants in there. Like, we're not really doing you a favor at all. 
We're capitalizing on your fear. That's what we would be doing. And this is why I tell all these people, no. I'm telling you, at least once a week, I get an email that opens with straight to how much money I could make if I'll just be smart enough to take their offer. Those emails, 1,000% get deleted, even if I think the product might have some merit. If I don't know you and you're open to me as Jack, look how much money we can make together. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk because I don't trust you. If you want to get in with me in my community, the first step is trust. And trust comes from opening a dialogue about common ideals, not you promising me money. Because here's the reality. If I took these offers, all I would end up doing is sucking money from my community. And instead of 15 years later being seen by community, my community, maybe I'm an asshole, maybe I'm a jerk, maybe I say things you don't like. But I think most people view me as a servant to my community. That's the only way I can stay that way. If I bring you something and I suggest that it is a good thing, then you know that I believe it or it wouldn't be in front of you. Every single fucking time. We have to balance true threats and common sense. Economics is one that a lot of people get really concerned about, and they should. We're $34 trillion, I think it is, in debt right now. We are going to eventually have to rebase the U.S. dollar as a currency unit somehow. Exactly how they'll do that, I don't know. And everybody shouts, CBDCs! CBDCs would just be another form of the same money. I'm not talking about the, the form the money takes. I'm talking about the basis of the money. What is the money based on? Right now, our money is based on a promise of repayment. We will repay the money that we borrowed in the past with new money that we will print in the future. That, that's what it's based on. And like that's why it's been able to run away to such astronomically stupid levels. And there will be a, a, an economic crisis at some point. It probably won't be tomorrow. Start building your life. And you know what? The dollar is what we have now. So having dollars is a good thing. Having diversification is also a good thing. I recommend Bitcoin. I recommend silver and gold. I recommend tools. I recommend paying off your freaking real estate if you can, right? I recommend owning the things that will provide you what you need going forward. I do not recommend being reactionary and trying to stock up on 47,000 buckets of beans and, and rice. I think that's stupid. Um, I mean, and I've turned down all the TV shows too, all of them. All not not interested in that. I'm not interested in having you make me look like a lunatic. And I'm not interested in presenting your version of the way this stuff works because you're wrong. You're sensationalist, non-reality TV. Um, so what is really important here? How do we start building a life with redundancy and resiliency to our survival needs? Well, we do that by first defining, well, what the hell are survival needs, not wants, needs. What are the things that we have to have in order to continue to follow rule one of survival, right? Is not dying. Well, we need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need energy. In wilderness survival, they call it fire, but it's really energy. We need security, and we need to be able to see to our health and sanitation. If you have those six things, 
Now, you're not going to survive if somebody drops a bomb on your head. You're not going to survive if it turns out that there's a giant race of people that live on the backside of the moon and they show up and put you underneath a giant jar and suffocate you. But in the, in the normal scheme of things, you know, you're not going to survive if some guy driving a 10-wheeler drives over your car today. Like, there are things that can take you out. But in general, if you can see to those six things, rule one is a cakewalk. You're going to survive. So I think it makes the most sense to start at the places that are the easiest to, to do something about. And probably the easiest one. And the one that gets just so bantered around is, look at these evil corporations. It's water, right? You see it every time there's a hurricane. Somebody goes into a Best Buy or something like that, some store that's not a grocery store, right? They don't sell fucking cases of water. They sell a bottle of water for two bucks at the checkout at the counter, and nobody cries about it. Nobody complains about it. All the rest of the year, that bottle of water sits there for two bucks. The same person that's going to do what I'm about to talk about will go in and buy that bottle of water. Never bitch a word about it. So all of a sudden there's a hurricane and people want to buy the bottle, the water at Best Buy by the case. And some floor manager trying to be accommodating says, well, there's 24 bottles in here, $2 a piece, 48 bucks. That's how much they sell for every day. That's why it's the price. And they're going, it's price gouging. No, moron. You don't go to Best Buy to buy a case of water. Not in good times and certainly not in bad. Right? What do preppers need to do? We need to take empty bottles that are clean, go to our faucet, turn the water on, fill them up, put a lid on it, stick it on a shelf. All we need to do. If you do not have at least 20 gallons of water per person in your household in reserve, and that's low, by the way. But you are no prepper of any kind. No prepper of any kind. You, you, no matter what else you've done, one of the most fundamental needs that's literally free for you to do something about, you've refused to do, and you're not a prepper. Maybe you're a poor prepper, I guess. Would be, you know, and I don't mean financially. I mean just in function. You're a poor prepper. What is my favorite thing to store water in? Arizona iced tea jugs one-gallon apple juice jugs, any of the big, heavy, handle-having jugs. Why? Because they're designed to hold drinks that are highly acidic, so they're very robust. Also works good, two-liter soda bottles. Two-liter soda bottles. But I don't drink any of that crap, Jack, neither do I. But I know people who do, and you just say, hey, could you save your bottles for me? And most will be happy to do it. So it's totally free. Well, how do I make the water so it's it's safe to store long term? Wash the fucking bottle out with hot water and maybe a little bit of bleach and leave it air out to the point where it doesn't smell like whatever was in it. Then fill it up with water, put the lid on it, stick it on the shelf. That's all you have to do. Water doesn't go bad. To have bacteria, amoebas, parasites, whatever in water, there has to be something for it to consume i.e. sugar, and it has to be present in the first place. If you take a bottle of water and put it on the shelf for 50 years, it will be kind of flat tasting, but it will still be safe if it was safe when it went in the freaking bottle, right? Uh, Andy says, ocean spray, three liter jugs. That sounds good too. Anything that holds something acidic or carbonated that's and, and rotated, yes, absolutely. Certainly you should use your water because it does get kind of a, 
a, a flat taste to it. Uh, Gmail Merkel says, I have two-year round creek. Uh, two-year two two round creeks. So that's my water. Well, that's nice, but you might want to put some in your house anyway, so when you need it, it's freezing cold out, and you can't get any because you're going to bust your ass because you hurt yourself yesterday, and you're not really sure on your feet, and now you got to go down and get the water out of the creek. You see, like, that's great you have that. How about you have some water in your house? Um, food. Food is the one that like people go stupid with it. So they, they, here's, you know, here's an example of the types of companies that come to me. All these food companies with Patriot in their name. And I always ask them, well, why, why do you call yourself Patriot this or Patriot that? What, what makes, what makes this patriotic? They don't fucking know. They just thought if they put that off and they paid Alex Jones 2000 bucks for a 30 second ad, you might buy it. That's all. It just sounds cool. But what are they selling you? Macaroni? I, last time I checked, there's lots of really cheap macaroni at the grocery store. You know? There's all, all the stuff these people sell is just low-rent, low-end, garbage, highly processed food. And most of it you could package better if you did it yourself and started with raw ingredients. But do you eat that? I mean, if you eat pasta on a regular basis, by all means, store pasta. Of course. If you don't, why are you storing like 57 buckets of freaking elbow macaroni? Well, in case the zombies come. Maybe you should store the food you actually eat in case the zombies come. So you're not trying to adapt to some new weird-ass diet and getting to be all fat, out of shape, sick, when you most need nutrition. Whatever you eat is what you store. And your goal goes like this. You need to go from zero to I just have the random shit a normal person has. So I have enough surplus for an extra week. And then we do that again, and it's two weeks. Then we do that again, and it's a month. And then we do that again, and it's two months. And then we do it a third, one-third of what we've done, and we have three months, we have 90 days. When you have 90 days, you are in really great shape. A lot of people push the one-year mark. If you want to do it, God bless you, go forth and do so. And in some areas, we're probably at least that long. But it's not what you need. 90 days would have got you through the craziest part of COVID, wouldn't it have? And you'd have been all relaxed like me. right? When everybody's freaking out about COVID and fighting over toilet paper, I was eating New York strip steaks and playing classic rock music and teaching my grandkids about it, hanging out in our garden and not caring about the rest of the world at all. That's resiliency. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. So store what you eat, eat what you store. Start with a food journal. It's the easiest thing in the world. Get a notebook, put it on your countertop, and every time you or anybody in your family eats anything, just write it down. What it was. If you already wrote it down, every time they, 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 it gets eaten again, put a star next to it. Do that for two to three weeks and look at your book. You're going to see that there's a few things in there that you use all the time. Store that. That's how simple this is. Build a deep pantry. Move along with your life. Shelter. We take this for granted because most of us live somewhere. We're not homeless. So here's my shelter. Well, what if a, what if a tree goes through your roof tomorrow in the middle of a storm? What's your plan? 
So shelter for most of us is a plan. Where do I go and how do I shelter myself if this place becomes for some reason uninhabitable? And I get people all the time, I'm never bugging out. I'm staying here. Why would I leave? This is where all my stuff is. And they make a great argument for it right up into the point that, again, a tornado ripped the roof off your house. You're probably not staying there. When I was a little kid one time, uh, Duval County Sheriff's came banging on our door, Jacksonville, Florida. You got to leave now. It wasn't a request. It was now out. There was a chlorine leak at a chemical plant, and there was literally a cloud of chlorine, like, spreading. Get, you ain't bugging in. They're telling you you're leaving. It was, I'm telling you, there was no hesitation. I still remember a little kid. I was probably like nine, ten years old. There was no hesitation in that man's voice. Like, I'm going to the next door neighbor, and if you're not out of here, I'm dragging you. Like, you're going now. And, I mean, there was 20 cops throughout the apartments we lived in. Just get out, get out, get out. There's always something that can come up that makes you have to leave. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of people thought they would never leave until they were like, gee, why is, why is there a fiery red sunset in the eastern sky? And it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. How does that work? Oh, that's a forest fire. I better get the fuck up out of here. So you have to have a plan for what to do. And that is, where would you go? How long can you stay there? What do you do at the end of that period of time? You know, tents are what they are, but you don't want to live in one long term. Hotel rooms are great for temporary situations. Doubling up with family members. Better think about how that's going to work before you plan on doing it. But have some plan for where to go if where you are, you can no longer be. Pretty simple. Energy. This is, again, in, in wilderness survival school, you learn this is fire, right? Um, that's one of your survival needs in the wilderness is fire. But why are they teaching you about fire? Well, so you don't freeze to death. Okay, that will still make my point, but... You know, they don't say you need fire in the winter. I say you need fire. And the reason is we need energy. Fire is a form of energy. Think about what I can do with fire. I can, yes, stay warm. If I have, like, gear or clothing that's become wet, I can use it to accelerate drying it out. What do you use at home to dry your clothes? Clothes dryer. What does that use? Electricity. It's energy. If you uh, have some stuff that you want to eat, you can cook it. Some things you really shouldn't eat raw. And a lot of things, when you cook them, the nutrients in them become more bioavailable to you. Like eating it raw will actually net you less energy into your body. Now, if, you, if you're living as a, a raw vegan or something, you can go ahead because you have the luxury when you're in the wilderness and you are scratching and scraping to get by, then every calorie you earn in that situation, you want it to do something for you, don't you? You don't want to have a net loss on calories in in a survival situation. But it can do more for you. I can use fire to heat up a shaft to straighten it to make an arrow or a spear. Or to shape things so I can make something like an atlatl. So I can actually use fire to make tools. Right? So if we were at home, you might use power tools. 
power, right? To do that. So that's why we, we, we all, that's why I changed it in modern survivalism from fire to energy. Because when we get home, we have a lot more options for energy right up until power outage. So we need to think about what is, what is your response to that? Some go off grid. That's great if you can afford it and if it works for you. I think you should if you can. I think it's a fantastic way to be because then when the power goes out, you just don't care. Isn't that wonderful? Now, the other side of it is, and, you know, I'm not off grid, but I am not dependent on the water grid. I have a well. So when I see something on next door about how everybody's upset in town, which is like just half a mile away from me, because they have a boil water advisory or the water's not running for some reason or whatever. I'm like, ha ha, I don't care. The difference, though, is those people have a whole bunch of people trying to fix the problem for them, even if they don't complain. Because somebody in that group of people will complain. If my water's off, I got a problem personally. So that's the thing about energy, too. When you go off grid, that's great. But when there's a problem, when one of your inverters fries, it's your problem. No one cares. There's no number to call where a friendly man will come in a bucket truck and turn your power back on for you. So just understand that. So you need to have, even if you're off grid, you want redundancies. And if you're on grid, you want redundancies. So the generator. Let me say something, too, about solar generators. There's no such thing as a solar generator. It is another marketing scam. I've also told all the solar generator companies to take their solar panel and battery and inverter that they call a generator and shove it all the way up their ass until they can paste the photovoltaics in the panel in their mouth because it's a ripoff. It is a ripoff. It is a ripoff. It is a ripoff. For a fraction of the cost, you can buy a couple batteries, a rolling case, and a great big ass solar panel and an inverter, and build your own. And then you'll know how to build a small-scale off-grid solar system for your house. You can always make it bigger. You can always add more. It makes a hell of a lot more sense. And that that's a good thing to have too. I don't care what you have though. You should have at least one rock-solid damn good generator because generators are like Bic lighters. Flick your Bic, you get a flame. Start your generator, you got power. So you really want to have, in my opinion, at least two generators. You have like one really good main mover generator, you know, and then like a smaller backup generator. I think it makes a lot of sense. And then you need a way that that generator will not run because you look at it lovingly and bless it. Oh, dear Lord, fire up the generator for me. Doesn't work, does it? Right? <clears throat> you can't put jelly beans in there and get power out of it. You need gas. So we need to store gas. And I say your goal, not you don't have to have this tomorrow, your goal should be 60 gallons of gas. That's 12 five-gallon cans of gas. You know what you should do, though? On one can, there should be a number. It should be one. That's for January. Another one should be two. That's February. If I have to explain beyond that, I don't know what to tell you. I'll just tell you that the last one will be 12, and it's for December. And you keep them all nicely stored. And when January comes, you go get the can that says number one on it, and you dump it in your vehicle. You put the can in your vehicle, and when you go get gas, you fill your vehicle up and you fill the can up. And that way you're always rotating your gas. Your fuel is never more than one year old, and that is fine. You don't even need to stabilize it. 
Now, if you want to start storing more gas than that, you want to look at a stabilizer and some things. But I'll tell you what's really a good thing about this. You know, there is summer and winter mixed gas. If you kind of do this over time and, and you know, fill up your winter month cans during the winter month, you'll have winter mixed gas. And if you're putting it in your vehicle in winter, you'll have winter mixed gas in your vehicle in winter. They'll all run a generator just fine, by the way. And they'll all work year-round. It just kind of works out that way if you think about it that way. So now we've got gas. We've got electrical power. We also have the power from our vehicles. Every vehicle should probably have, like, I don't know, like an 800-watt uh, inverter that lives with it that can be clamped onto the batteries and do things like run fans and small things and stuff like that while your vehicle idles. Because whether you know you know it or not, you probably own several generators uh, that you spent tens of thousands of dollars on or more. Uh, the ones that you got from companies like Chevrolet or Ford or Toyota. Yeah, your car, your truck, those are generators. They have a little generator right in there. We call it an alternator. And they are capable of producing electricity. We, and you should have backup uh, power for all your devices. You should have cords for charging in every vehicle. And when you get in a vehicle, you plug your device in. I don't care if it's fully charged. You plug your device in. You charge it. It's never not charging. Right now, you know where my phone is? It's not in here because I don't want to be disturbed while I'm podcasting. It's out on my end table, and it's plugged in, and it's charging. And it's basically maintaining a charge. Always keep your that's – your, that's your link to the outside world. And just think about your energy overall. Security? Security is the one we screw up the most, folks. For You know that the, the crazy prepper I started like, I'm a real survivor, so I got my guns, and I got my grenades from my uncle in the Army, and I got this, and I got that. Like, that guy you'd think he's seen the security. He's probably not. He's probably, like, talking all that shit on a forum, and then he goes to work, and on the way home he stops to get gas, and he's got earbuds in, and he's pumping gas with earbuds in. That's not security. That's to say the way these people think is, well, when the apocalypse comes, then I got all my guns and all my gear and I'll be ready to fight the blue helmets or whatever nonsense they come up with. Well, see, this is the problem with security. A person, even though it's a survival need, it is the need we can get away without the most because security is provided by proxy from others. Meaning that there's a lot of people that would go around and just rape people or kill people or shoot people or steal from people all the time, except for there's one problem that they have, and that's that there's others of us who will kill them back, right, or beat the shit out of them. Like, now I'm not even talking about cops here. I'm just saying, like, there's most average people will not stand around while somebody's victimized. I know you see it on video all the time. There are places you probably shouldn't be that those videos are shot. I'll leave it at that. But you tell me, most of the people in this audience right now, if you saw some old lady getting mugged, you wouldn't go in there and thump some ass. So security is provided by cops and law enforcement and general humans around you all the time. And so the person that's gearing up for the end, they're, they're wisely on some level saying, hey, if that facade falls, we got real problems. They're not wrong about that. The thing is, that hadn't happened in the United States, well, almost ever. There'd be some cases could be made that parts of the country during the Civil War, it certainly did. And parts of the country before they were actually parts of the country 
you know, the old West type scenarios, there was some of that. But overall, like once an area is civilized, right, we don't see the complete and total loss of it. Now, you will see it in the middle of riots and stuff like that, which are, unless you live in the place, generally pretty easy to avoid unless you're an idiot and you go into them and because you want to be there or something. So most of the time, in most places, you cannot have security because someone else did it for you. Here's the problem with that theory. It is a facade. It is a facade. Let's imagine that I want another person dead. I don't. Let's say I did. And we're not talking about somebody like some sort of politician with Secret Service around him or something. We're talking about a regular person. I don't care if that person has a bodyguard, right? And I want them dead. I'm not some special ops trained Jason Bourne type or nothing like that. But there's, if I'm not worried I'm going to get caught, there's no way that person's not dead. There's no way that person's not dead. Because in a normal society, I'm just going to walk up to you and shoot you in the back of the head. And you can, the person can be like a super badass Navy SEAL or something. They're walking down the street at the mall. They're just as dead as anybody else. And that's the thing about security. You can get away without it for so long, but when you actually need it, the amount of time you can do without it is a millisecond. So it has to be ingrained into your life. You can never be 100% uh, secure. You can't. Well, you can, but then basically you have to put yourself in your own prison that you control, right? And, and then still something could happen, but you're pretty damn secure, right? But we have to practice situational awareness. I mean, I talk about this exercise all the time. Whenever I drive somewhere, if I've driven there recently, I look for anything that's different. And I challenge myself, even though across a couple of miles, to find at least two things that have changed. That way you're paying attention to what's going on. My number one rule for this, don't do stupid things in stupid places with stupid people. And a lot of this will take care of itself. But be an armed citizen. Whatever you have to do in your state to carry, do it. Do it. And I'm telling you, I hear from people all the time, like, you know, a married couple, and the wife is totally okay with the dude carry. And she's like, I don't worry about it. He's got my back. My response to that is always, well, who has his? Who has his back? When two guys walk into the cafeteria and start shooting, he's got to face one of them. Maybe it'd be good if you could face the other one. You need security. See to it. And then the last one is the one that we want to talk about in the prep world, sanitation and health. This starts where we start. This, this, this one begins back where we started the whole thing, water. Water is the most important thing to health and sanitation that there is. If you give a person a long enough period of time to choose between drinking no water and drinking water that's infected with some sort of contaminant, they will always eventually drink the contaminated water. Human thirst, human thirst will cause it. And Ernie, you're wrong. I'm sorry. Ethanol isn't the boogeyman we've made it out to be. It just isn't. It isn't. It's going to corrode. It's the stuff you drink, dude. Uh, gas is more corrosive than ethanol. Anyway, um, yeah, health and sanitation. The number one thing that kills people in natural disasters is health and sanitation failures in the aftermath. Far more people died of disease in the aftermath of the Haitian earthquake, for instance, that happened, what, 10 years ago then died from the damage the earthquake caused. Huge cholera outbreak 
in in uh, in Haiti from that. And it, it looks like it was traceable back to some UN relief workers, probably from Bangladesh, if I remember right. Doesn't really matter, though, does it? It doesn't matter why you're drinking infected water. It matters that. And you think, oh, Haiti, that's the third world. You are a human, just like the humans that live there. And if you are in a position where you are dehydrated beyond belief, you will eventually drink the skank water. So seeing to water is a big part of health and sanitation. We also need to worry about our poop and our pee. There's a lot of ways to deal with that, but have a plan. Have a plan. Because if you don't, it's going to be hard to think. This is the thing. You need to understand the thing that you're actually capable of doing. The thing you're actually capable of doing in a stress situation is a thing that you can do at three o'clock in the morning with a screw with a, a, a flashlight in your teeth in freezing rain while your fingers hurt. If you can't do a thing in that situation, you're not really trained and planned up on the thing. So whatever your plan is for health and sanitation, you need it in advance so that you don't do stupid things while you're in a panic mode. Right. So it's not that hard to deal with. We've talked about it before. We'll leave it there. I want to talk about, as we wrap up today, though, the best preparedness plan is living life efficiently and effectively while times are good. If you use the opportunity that's presented to you on a daily basis of living in the first world in the 2020s, with all the amazing technology and massive supply apparatus chain that's out there, then you easily can become prepared. Easily. It's only hard to do when everybody's trying to do it at the same time in a freakout. That's the only time. Like, it's amazing to me that people will go out and buy crazy amounts of shit because of perceived danger, but they won't do it and they call themselves preppers. So here's an example. When the COVID thing started, I started getting all these emails. I need to buy grain, Jack. I need to buy grain. I mean, like, wheat? Yeah. Everybody's like, Honey, Honeyville is all sold out, man. Like, they don't have any. They have no idea when they're going to have it back. Do you eat wheat? Do you eat barley? Why? Well, I'm worried that, like, the whole thing's going to fall apart with this COVID thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, before I say this, I want you to think about whether or not you really need to do this. But I bet you the feed store, like where you buy your bird's feed, has all the wheat and barley you could want. They're probably going to sell it as seed, but it's the same thing. And the home brew stores probably have it. But, you know, wasn't this really easy to do a few weeks ago? And if you really wanted to... If you really wanted to have this reserve, why didn't you do it when it was easy? And, and no one ever likes being asked that when they're in a reactionary mode. But that's why you shouldn't let yourself get to a reactionary mode. What are you going to do if you have 500 pounds of wheat berries? What is your plan for it? They usually don't have an answer. That's why if you plan to live your life mostly the way you're living it now, even during a disaster or a shortage, you will gear your life that way from the very beginning. Ensure just simply that all your needs have redundancies. So you're going to go through the next, you know, maybe this week's a bad example, right? Because we're going to eat some turkey and we're going to eat some pie 
and we're going to drink some expensive wine this week. At least I am. We're going to lay around and get in arguments with our family members because we're too stupid not to, even though Jack says don't. Right? This is not a normal week. But let's say this weekend, as you go back to your normal life starting next week, you're going to have a seven-day period, Monday through Sunday. And you're going to get through that. You, you know, Unless you get hit by a truck or something, or you have like a coronary about to happen you don't know about, and you get taken out, like you're going to get through that. Well, all you need to do is kind of look at like what are all the things that made my life, you know, livable and comfortable in that period of time. If if the thing wasn't available, what would I have done? Well, I'll go buy another one. But what if you couldn't? Well, then maybe it makes yourself to have a redundancy on the shelf, whether metaphorically or actually. So that's all we really need to do is just look at our lives. And say, how do I live? What makes me happy? What makes me comfortable? And what keeps me not dead? And what keeps me from destroying my life? Like becoming bankrupt will destroy your life as much as dying. You know, in some ways, bankruptcy can be worse. Because you have to live with the, the aftermath of it, right? Where if you're dead, at least for you, your problems are over. You know, depending on what you believe. You need to build real wealth every way that you can. And remember, when I use the word wealth, I'm using Buckminster Fuller's definition of wealth. That definition is your ability to survive a given number of days forward. If somebody cut off your income and said, good luck, how long would you be okay? And if your answer is 90 days, you have 90 days of wealth. That's what you have. If your answer is 10 years, you have 10 years worth of wealth. And it doesn't matter how that is covered. So some of that wealth could be what we, when I say wealth, you probably think money. You probably think greenbacks, dollars, right? Cold, hard cash. Some of you think Bitcoin, but you think some sort of financial asset. That's wealth. You know what else is wealth? An apple tree. An apple tree that makes 10 bushels of apples. Well, that's a lot of bushels of apples off one tree, isn't it? Let's say an apple tree, big one, that produces two bushels of apples a year. That's the equivalent of the value of two bushels of apples. A stream running through your backyard with fish in it. However many fish you can sustainably take out of that stream. That's wealth. Tools that you can build things with. You can either sell or you can solve your own problems with. That's wealth. That's wealth. Knowledge is wealth. The, just the ability to know how to do that. Like, so when I say build wealth and I say all means possible, I mean that. I don't mean a stock portfolio. That's one form of wealth. I don't mean a Bitcoin wallet. That's another form of wealth. I don't mean a garden. That's another form of wealth. I mean a vast array of things that contribute to your personal daily wealth amount. How long can you live? Because if I if I have enough going on on my property, produce all the food I need forever, then on some levels I am infinitely wealthy, at least from a food standpoint. Now, that's a goal that a lot of people seem to have. I'm not big on it. I'm not big on the whole, I want to produce 100% of my own food. You know, I like coffee. I'm never going to grow coffee in Texas. I'm just not. 
You know, I mean, I like chocolate, too, and I'm probably not going to be growing cocoa in, in Texas either. I don't know a lot of it, but I like it. In my small piece of property, I'm not going to I'm not going to raise beef cattle on it. And beef is something I eat like a lot, like more than anything else. I eat beef. I eat, Number one thing I eat is beef. And number two thing I eat is probably pork. And so I'm not going to produce all my own food, but I'll produce what I can as I can in ways that make sense for me. And I'll produce things beyond my needs and sell them like we sell our duck eggs for we sell our duck eggs for 10 bucks a dozen. We never I, I, I often get yelled at for eating my own eggs by my wife because I needed those for a customer. You know. So we don't have any trouble selling them. That's part of wealth. You need to not bet, and I think this, I kind of covered this through the show today already, but I'll say it again here. You can't bet on failure or success because both will eventually fail you. So there's our uh, our classic, I'm a real survivalist. I got my AR-15 and I got my bayonet. And I even might have some Claymore mines hidden somewhere you don't know. And I got myself a bunker and like... <laughs> That that person is betting on failure. They're betting the system will fail, which means if the system doesn't fail, they've squandered a lot of their life's energy in the form of money and investing in things that they're never going to use. Yeah, that, that's what they've done. Now, the person that bets only on success is just as bad. They're the person that ends up three days into Hurricane Sandy digging food out of a dumpster in New York City, and that should happen. And they're, I'm talking wealthy people. I mean, just based on the neighborhoods these people were living in, they had to be wealthy to live there. But they had no food reserve whatsoever. They were only planning for success. Many, many years ago, I think I was still in the car, podcasting from my car, like, oh, nine. I covered a story where... I think Salon Magazine or somebody wrote it. They, they referred to these people as the Kitchenistas, and they were in New York City. And these were people that, since their apartments were so small and storage was at such a premium, they had turned their refrigerator and their ovens and even some of their, like, cabinets into places for their clothes and their shoes and shit. And they interviewed the, the one, one of these girls, and she said, well, why would I worry about food in my house? There's a dinner every night. She was probably one of the people fishing like a deli, uh, a deli, uh, a delicatessen cup out of a, gar a garbage dumpster in the middle of Hurricane Sandy. Because when you're hungry, the things that you say you won't eat, you'll eat. You know, I've been to the third world. I spent six months in a part of Honduras where we were probably a hundred miles from the nearest pay road. I'm talking poverty that you can't imagine. You know what you never saw going to the dump food of any kind. They, there's no food gets thrown away. None. We live in a place where people throw away food that can change in a heartbeat. So you can't bet on failure or success. You have to bet on the fact that there will be a mix There'll be a mix of success and failure, which means I need to live my life in such a way that I prosper in easy times and I thrive in hard ones or living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Or the first tenet of modern survival, everything that you do 
to prepare for disasters and emergencies that make your life better, even if nothing goes wrong. Crazy, crazy that I've been saying it for 15 years and I still have to keep saying it because it's it's so counter to the way of many so-called survivalists think. The world's going to end, you know, and it's, I started this 15 years ago. And the same people existed all the way back then. Now, here's the problem with this mindset. Most of those people are not prepared at all anymore. What happens to somebody like this, and this is the real danger of being a reactionary survivalist prepper, real man, right? What happens is these people spend a shitload of money. They alienate everyone around them, and they wait for the end of the world as we know it. Sooner or later, they realize it hasn't come for so long. And they go back and pretend that they were never that person. And all the shit gets thrown away or rots or whatever or hawked. And they end up less prepared than the average sheeple 10, 15 years later. Just not prepared at all. Just not prepared at all. Builder of Castles says, 15 years ago, it totally looked like the world system was going to fall apart. That might be why a podcaster named Jack Spirigo chose to name his podcast, The Survival Podcast, in 2008. Before that happened, right before that happened. And the first thing he said is, this thing is about to happen. And he also said, there'll be a false recovery. Everybody will cheer and the band will start up again. And then the real crisis will emerge. Kind of feels like what happened. And he says, today it looks even worse. That's what I said. But what will eventually fall apart probably won't look like any porn prepper, fiction book, or anything like that. All this mental masturbation people do. You're still going to have to pay your mortgage. I promise you, no matter what happens, if you have a mortgage, you're still going to have to pay it. You might get you know, some sort of emergency authorization where you can go a couple months without it or something. But you're still going to have to pay your mortgage. You're still going to pay your bills. You're still going to pay your taxes. You're still going to need money. The, the, the TV set version of this is not coming. Develop skills and knowledge daily is another thing I've been teaching forever and I'll never stop. If you didn't learn something yesterday, you wasted yesterday. If you don't learn something today, you wasted today. If you don't learn something tomorrow, you wasted tomorrow. You want to take a day off like Thanksgiving say, I ain't going to learn nothing? Go ahead. That's no big deal. But I, I try to learn something every day vacation, work, I don't care. It, it, it really doesn't cost anything to make sure that you learn something every day. And there's a cumulative effect of really learning a thing. I'd rather a person really learn one thing every day than half-ass learn 10 things every day. Because at the end of a week, and you try to ask them what they learned on Monday, they don't remember. But if they learn, really learn one solid thing every day, then a month from now, they could probably tell you all the things they learned. They might not be able to do it in order or something like that. But if you ask them a question that answering it would indicate they've learned the thing, they'll probably be able to answer it because they've actually learned it. They've actually learned it. Learn from others, but don't try to be who they are. Don't try to be Jack Spirico. You're not me, and you probably don't want to be. I know, I know I make I make it look easy and good and all. There's trials of being Jack Spear. Go trust me, right? Don't try to be somebody you see on TV. Don't try to be somebody you see on YouTube. Be, be who you are and learn from them. 
And to me, life is like one giant version of Jeet Kune Do. For those that don't know, that was that was Bruce Lee's philosophy of you take only what is useful from everywhere and make it your own. And and that's how I view like everything I do in life. It's not that's not just a thing for martial arts. That's like the way this guy stores fuel. I like ninety percent of that, so I'm going to take ninety percent of that and put my own ten percent on top. And the guy that I like the way he stores fuel, the way he maintains his generator is garbage. I'm going to learn how to maintain my generator from someone that actually knows how to maintain a generator. Right. Or I'm going to pay somebody that knows how to maintain a generator, maintain my generator for me so I don't have to worry about it. Both of those are acceptable. And you've learned something even in the second one, like who that person is. Does that person exist where you are? And you need to know that that person needs to like do regular service on your generator for you, not wait till it breaks and then take it to him. But all of it comes in that way. Some of you guys look at what I do and you go, I don't want a giant garden like Jack has. Then don't have one. But figure out what it is that you can do to shore up your need for food and to cut your cost and expense ongoing for food acquisition. Bring it all together. Jeet Kune know that stuff. Um, trust yourself more than anybody else, including me. Trust yourself. Your gut is a great indicator of whether you should be doing something or not. And when you're looking at doing something and there's just something in your gut that says, no, I don't think so, trust that shit. Trust that shit. Years ago, before I even met her, my, my wife told me a story that happened with her and her ex-husband and, you know, the kind of shit that makes it why he's her ex-husband. Um, they were going to park in a parking lot. I think at a Home Depot. And there were some people standing in the back of the parking lot and just her gut immediately went, man, let me tell you something, man. When a woman tells you this shit, they are more in tune with it generally than we are as men because we're all, and they're a little bit more sensitive, right? They're a little more empathic. And she said, please don't park here. I think there's going to be a problem here. He was the kind of asshole that once she asked him not to do something, he was going to fucking do it. So he insisted he parked there. Their truck got stolen. Their truck got stolen. And my wife, God bless her, I wish I would have known her at the time, man. She was. She literally ran out, jumped on the side of it, and was cursing out the guy and beating on the window, and, and, and she finally fell off the truck. <laughs> she was going to take this dude out, right? But her gut told her, this is bad. When your gut says, don't do this thing, especially when it's not like, you know, red wire, blue wire in, uh, what was it, uh, Lethal Weapon 2 or whatever, like you got to make a decision. Like if you have time to make a decision, your gut's saying no, just step back and think about it. We all know analysis paralysis is bad too, but really trust your gut, guys. And, and you guys that are lucky enough to have a woman in your life, when her gut tells her that this is a bad place, listen to her. Listen to her. They are better at it than we are. We all have things that we're better at than other people. And learn from the past. Live in the now. Plan for the future. If you want me to come up with a different phrase other than living a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't, right? That explains everything about what we do. Learn from the past. Live in the present. Plan for the future. That's it.
everything that I'm going to do today, I should look at what it does for me right now, what it does for me or will cost me tomorrow. What am I giving up tomorrow by having this today? And what things in my past or history in general can say about this type of a decision? This is the most simplistic decision-making process you can give a person. It's also the most powerful. And I'll tell you where you'll never hear it. You'll never hear it taught in our school system, will you? Because imagine if every single student that was being told, Johnny, Susie, thou shalt go to college and they shall have a wondrous, prosperous career only if thy goes to college. They would look at the past, all the people that went, what happened to them, how, what percentage used their degrees. Like they'd make, and they'd think of the now. What do I really want most in my life right now? And what am I giving up tomorrow in return for this? And when they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cripple myself with a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. And the past shows me that people that take this path get jobs making starting at $50,000 a year. Maybe I shouldn't do this this way. Maybe I should find it. Well, they don't want that. What I just gave you is the, is like, if you want to liberate a society, just teach that. Just teach. Learn from the past, live in the now, plan for the future. But teach it tailored to the individual. Not do this because we say, because then you can just say, well, the past says if you go to school, you'll make more money, so go to school. No, 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 no. Every person has to look at the general past, what we know from history, but also their individual past. You know, I heard Jeff Lawton say this one time. I don't even remember what we were discussing. But Jeff's also a martial artist. A lot of people don't know that about Jeff Lawton. He's a martial artist as well. And we weren't talking about martial arts, but I, I assume that this philosophy comes from there because it definitely comes from military background training. It comes from martial arts training, etc. And as, as trainers, as teachers, we can use two things and only two things to impress things on the memory of our students, pleasure or pain. There's really nothing else. You know, you say quest for knowledge. Well, that means that you enjoy it. So that's pleasurable. Okay. I can either use pleasure or pain to write thing into your memory. And then what he said next was, and this is true. And no more, no matter how much we as teachers want it to be otherwise, pain always works better. Pain always works better to teach than pleasure. And I know some of you right now, like, you just want to resist this. But that's why you do push-ups in the military when you screw up. Pain doesn't even necessarily mean you have to, like, like beat somebody or some shit. Discomfort is a teacher. I'll put it to you this way. Person on a cold night happens to have something really warm to wrap around them. And so they have pleasure in having the warm item with them. And they might even say something, boy, it's a good thing I had that with me. Okay, It doesn't mean that a month later they won't end up in a position where it's even colder and they don't have the warm thing to wrap around them. Okay? In the first instance, if they spent a few hours miserable and shivering, it is probably the case that it will never happen again to them because their personal history will always remind them. I bet everybody listening to me, including 
the multitude of people that will hear this and want to react negatively to my claim that pain is a better teacher than pleasure, I'll bet you there's at least 10 things if you sat right now and think of ways that you behave in your adult life that go back to some mistake you made in the past that hurt in some way. It hurt emotionally, physically. It was simply uncomfortable, right? It could have been really painful. Like, I bet you a shitload of people in this audience have touched an electric fence while it was on and they thought it was off once. Once. I got popped one time in my bicep, reach, and I knew the fence was on. I thought I could reach under it and not touch it, and I just glanced at just when that pulse went, and it knocked my dick in my back pocket. It hurt. It was a heavy charged fence. I will never do it again. It took one time to go, you know what? I thought I was smarter than the system, and I wasn't. And I wasn't, I didn't die. I didn't fall around on the ground and pee my pants or something, right? But I learned I'm not going to do that again. You know, I was, when I was a young man, I remember dating a particular woman who just screamed when you really looked at it, don't have a relationship with this person. But I thought, oh, she's pretty and she likes me and my friends think she's pretty and I can make this work. And I learned in that relationship, short as it was, that when the person exhibits these behaviors, do not pursue a relationship with them. Right? And it wasn't like some of it wasn't enjoyable. See, but the pleasure doesn't teach like the pain teaches, right? Anybody ever like, I don't know, lose a seed phrase to a crypto wallet? Bet you only did that once. See, that didn't physically hurt at all, did it? Right? We learn from our mistakes if we are intelligent beings. And when we look, <laughs> when we look at our past and we say, the last time I did this, it hurt. Unless you can clearly articulate exactly why it will be different this time and just saying it does not make it true, you probably shouldn't do it again because that will mean pain is in your future. See how dramatically simple that is? Don't you think that should literally like be like high school should have that as their motto, right? Learn from the past, live in the now, plan for the future. That's what I'll leave you with today. That's what I want to see in my community is a community of people who are knowledgeable because of their past and the past of others and the things they've read and learned that, that think about exactly how this thing that they're going to do is going to affect them now and what it means to their future. If we could just get this country to do that much, we could turn everything around. All these morons you see on TikTok and Twitter and shit that are like our complete buffoon idiots, all these like 400-pound women going, well, if a man wants to be made, he needs to make at least a half a million dollars a year. She doesn't believe that shit. That's just theatrics for you. But if we could get these people to just follow this simple rule, learn from the past, you know, learn from the past, live in the now and plan for the future. Here's the problem. We don't live in the now. We keep deferring to the future. And trust me, friends, as you age, the future gets smaller. 
the days are long, but the years are short. And how much time you have left to do all the things you've deferred starts to you start to realize they're not going to happen. And there's so many people they don't realize that till they're like seventy, and they miss so much opportunity because of it. Live in the now. Live in the now. Plan for the future. With that, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you did, remember you can always help support the show and the work we do by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I got a couple things for you today that are tspaz related. Uh, item of the day today is one I had to recently go out and find just for myself. Like, I needed it too. And I actually already had a solution for it, but the company that I was relying on stopped making it. So eTech City is one of my most favorite of all like value brand electronics company. E-Tech City and Anchor, just they pack everything 100%. And E-Tech City used to make this really cool, in fact, I've got one here. It's my remote control for my E-Tech City stuff. It turns, like for instance, on and off my studio lights. You can see them go on and off right there. Um, and it's very simple. You have a remote control, and then you have five little outlets. You plug the outlet in the wall, It'll be outlet number one, so you have button number one is on and off. And obviously, being Christmas time, what a great thing. My wife has all this giant Christmas forest she builds in our our, our, uh, our living room. Instead of one tree, we have like 30 trees, and they're all lighted up, and there's wires run everywhere. And to turn that shit off at night is a nightmare. Well, not anymore because we just use this. I also put in some really nice string lights in my shop. So when I don't want the bright-ass shop lights on, I want more mood lighting or whatever during an event. We do movie nights out there and all because we have a drop-down screen and everything. Then we just I just turn those on. Well, why? Well, because I plugged them into the outlets that were wired in for the garage door openers. So obviously you're not going to put a switch on that or your door openers would be off. So instead of paying, what would it what would have cost for me to have an electrician put in four outlets in my shop? Well, this little device is like 30 bucks and I only needed two of the modules to run all four sets of lights. There's just a lot of really cool stuff you can do with them. They make a lot of sense to have. And these are made by a company called Cyantech, S-Y-A-N-T-E-K. Uh, you can find them at T-SPAS or just go to the Survival Podcast and scroll down. I, you know, when I couldn't get it from E-Tech City, I just started doing research. These have like 4.6 stars with like 700 reviews. Order a set. It's not a real difficult thing to, to make. Tried them. They work perfectly out of the box, so I'm happy to recommend them. Next up, I got something for you guys that you want to know about this. And I've made an addition to T-SPAS because of it. So I've told you guys before about the Amazon Renewed program, which is just basically returned items that they act like were repaired or fixed or something. They're not. They don't, there's no money and having somebody wire rewire a, a $50 appliance at, at the Amazon level it doesn't exist. So it's all just stuff people sent back. Well, I just found out last week about something called the Amazon Outlet. These are not returned items. These are brand new unopened items that include manufacturer's warranties and things like that. What they are is items that Amazon feels they have too much stock of. And it's actually kind of difficult to find it. Now, if you go to Google and just search for Amazon Outlet, you'll find it. But when, you, when you're on regular Amazon and you just do the pull-down thing, you know, searching books, searching home, it's not there. 
it's like they want you to know, but they don't want you to know type of thing. I don't know. But I have added an article that explains the program, and I've put a link on the TSPAS page. So let me pull that up right now. And I've also added the renewed program. So when you go to TSPAS, if you've never been there before, um, you can see all the product categories. They're, they're listed alphabetical. You can click on, like, see all my AV gear, barbecue grilling, bug out gear, clothing, all that stuff that I've reviewed. Uh, you can also see the best sellers and shop for anything on Amazon by clicking the first link, uh, see all of our reviews. But then I added two more links. I added a link to the Amazon outlet for super good deals on overstocked items and a link to the renewed store. And I also have a link to each article explaining the outlet program and the renewed program. This way now, when you go to tspaz.com, you can find all my product reviews. But you can also cross-check when you find something you're looking for, like, is it available as a renewed item, or is it available overstock, or is there an item that's equivalent that's overstock that I can make that I can get a good discount on? Because I'll tell you, since finding this, I already needed something, and it saved me like 30 bucks. Um, and that's the outlet. The renewed program, when I bought my angle grinder, saved me like $70. So th this knowledge can really save you some money. So definitely, definitely check these programs out. Remember, you can always find out about all the stuff that I recommend and things like these lifestyle hacks that keep more money in your pocket at tspaz.com. Now, let me end with that and how it fits into today's episode. I said build wealth in every way possible. So sometimes that does mean having tools. Right. Or something you need to, you know, work in your garden with or something that empowers you to cook meals at home instead of go out and spend lots of money. Right. So there are times where we're actually going to buy things. So we're going to spend money. Every dollar we spend is a dollar we no longer have. Every dollar we do not spend is even better than a dollar earned. And here's why. When I earn a dollar, I'm going to pay about 30 cents in taxes on it. I know many of you are like maybe 50 cents out of it. That's why you should own a business, just second, right? When I earn a dollar, I, I, I get to keep about 70 cents. When I save a dollar, I get to keep all of it. Think about it. Think about it. Except for whatever inflation eats through the year, right? But but I am I definitely get ahead faster by reducing the outflow than just only focusing on the inflow. So I can do that a couple ways. One way I can do that is like just abstain from buying stuff and things like that. And honestly, I like the lifestyle I've built for myself. And there's things that I'm going to add to my life because it improves the quality of my life. I am living in the present and planning for the future. Yeah. But if I can buy something that's just as good for less money and spend less money, I'm going to do that every single time. Price to value ratio, something I've taught from the very beginning. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Again, it will be our only live stream this week. Tomorrow, Chef Keith Snow will be here. And, well, I actually was here a long time ago, but we'll be replaying that. You'll learn everything you need to make your Thanksgiving awesome. On Wednesday, we'll have that awesome, long-ago-conceived survivalist view of Thanksgiving. I hear people tell me every year that they really love that, and they listen to it every year, even though they've heard it every year. And I think if you haven't heard it yet, you, 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 I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, again, Thursday we're off. Friday we'll have a flashback, and I'll be back next week 
with all new programming. Take care, guys. Thanks for tuning in today. Oh, one more thing real quick. Um, I got an email today from somebody saying that they were talking to somebody on Telegram claiming to be me, and they wanted to know if it was me. It's not me. It's never me. If you don't know me personally, I'm not having conversations with you on Telegram. Okay? If you want to talk to me, send me an email. Jack at the Survival Podcast with TSPC in the subject line. If someone's telling you they're me on Telegram and you don't know me personally, so that there's there's nothing you can ask me that only I and you would know, if that we don't already have that relationship, it ain't me. Right? So there, there might be uh, some of you that might say, well, if you're really Jack, you know, uh, which, which gun do you keep leaning up against behind the door in your office? And, and I would know that and you would know to ask it. If you don't know something like that, right, I'm talking something beyond what you've heard on the air, then you do not have me on the other end of that conversation on Telegram, on Discord, on anything. I don't have conversations with people that way. And I never initiate those conversations. Right? I don't show up in your Twitter DM and start having a conversation with you about Bitcoin when I don't know you from Adam. Please don't fall for that. Anyway, guys, take care. <laughs> it's a trouble. You know, Andy says, no, there would be. A, yeah. Um, yeah. Ernie, a builder says. Uh, TSPC has a Telegram group. We do. We also have fakes. There's there's fake channels and groups pretending to be us. So when you see a Telegram group that's supposed to be the Survival Podcast Telegram group, and there's four people in it, it's probably not really the right one now, is it? Be careful, guys. If you want to talk to me, send me an email. TSPC in the subject line. Take care. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you guys next week. You should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.